HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch, grass-fed beef raised on California's central coast. Now available online through Larder Meat Company. Learn more at hearstranch.com. This week on Meat and 3, we're spotlighting the people, dishes, and ingredients decolonizing food. We're looking at our Thanksgiving plates and beyond to explore efforts to reclaim food sovereignty in Native American culture, the African diaspora, and Puerto Rico. I believe that oyster dressing is like the consummate side dish for an amazing fried turkey. What we're doing there is just working the land and we're laughing and we're creating a space for joy. And it's in that that healing occurs for us. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Emmett Shine, co-founder at Pattern Brands, a family of purposeful brands owned and operated under one roof with the mission of finding more enjoyment in daily life. Emmett and his team are formerly known as the boutique branding agency Gin Lane, where he was the chief creative officer and responsible for some of the most iconic branding of the past decade, including Stadium Goods, Hymns, Sweet Green, Quip, Harry's, and Recess. In 2019, after 10 years of being in the agency game, the team turned exclusively to building their first two brands, Equal Parts and Open Spaces. Hi, Emmett. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. Hey, Ali, and everyone listening in, as well as Jess, the engineer, who's been great so far setting this up. Thank you for having me here. Excited to talk. Yes. And now just for our listeners' pleasure, where are you recording from? Because if you hear an occasional rooster, it's not like your imagination. Yeah, sorry. I'm uh, I'm in a, a small town called Rincon uh, on the west coast of Puerto Rico. Um, and my neighbors, it, it's a small house my, my family's had for um, a few decades. And one of our neighbors yeah. has like 40, I guess, birds, but there's <laughs> ducks, geese, chickens. Uh, and so they, 
are quite active right now in the evening. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's awesome. I think um, that's my first rooster on the podcast. So very exciting. So we're going to go right into um, your background. I think I'm particularly excited to have you on because I think, you know, I talk on this show a lot about the difference between building a brand and building a business. And I think that a lot of your experience in the last couple of years could probably speak to some of the lessons that you've learned along the way, going from someone who helped build brands to someone who's now like deep into building businesses. Um, but before we get into that, I think um, I'd like to hear more about you as a kid. I'm gathering you were pretty creative. I know your mother was an artist. Um, just kind of wondering, were you a brand guy? Were you a visual guy? What was your sort of passion? And then how did you end up sort of, you know, on the trajectory that you ended up on? Yeah, um, it's an awesome question. And it's always interesting to hear, you know, people's kind of uh, backdrops. I was uh, in a group chat the other day arguing with uh, some friends. We have a politics chat left over from the election and we mm -hmm. just splintered into a, a science chat. And we were arguing over nature versus nurture, um, yeah. you know, and, and the blend that, you know, informs us. And um, it, it is interesting, right? Like you're just hereditary, you know, who your, your, your parents are, where you come from, but also how, how you grow up and how you're raised. And, you know, it kind of is a still heated kind of debate within many different communities if mm -hmm. one is more influential than the other. So anyway, um, I, I think for myself, like, yeah, like my, my mom is an artist. She still is an artist and she's just, uh, you know, never, never really um, wanted to have a, a normal job ever and has, you know, was forced at a few times to have some and hated them and basically quit them all just to go back to painting and never for right. the money or anything. It's just, um, you know, like if she ever went Passion. to an airport, she'd fill out artist, you know, like that right. was, that's, that's her like calling. Um, and I think for myself, like just growing up around that, it was always in, you know, when I was really young, one time I went into her studio and, um, you know, uh, there was a bunch of paintings she had and just like a little room in our house. And I think I took like some, you know, colored pencils or, you know, a watercolor brush and probably almost destroyed one of her paintings, but just <laughs> wanted to, wanted to contribute to it. And mm -hmm. so I think she smartly, you know, let me, you know, paint on some of the canvases and yep. encourage, you know, that more artistic side from, um, a young age. I think, the other side of the coin is, um, you know, my dad was more like a, uh, like a typical, I'm from Long Island. Mm -hmm. Um, you can hear my little accent sometimes. I just heard it. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> Long Island. Yeah. I yeah. still drink coffee, but I'm not having hot dogs as much. Um, <laughs> it, it, and you know, and he's more just like tough boomer guy that grew up playing all sports. So I probably always was trying to impress him and balance right. the more sensitive, you know, artistic side my mom was encouraging. And I, I bring up the sports because I definitely was part in the nineties of like, just, you know, the whole consumer culture of, mm -hmm. you know, you want to drink Sprite, you want to drink Gatorade, you, you know, you want to get the latest Nikes. And even if you couldn't afford any of that stuff, you just, you're watching sports, you're watching commercials. And I think I was always mesmerized by the TV and marketing and, yeah. Um, you know, that kind of juxtaposition on one hand, which is pure art and growing up on the East end of Long Island around a lot of really artist people and understanding how they thought. And then just spending a lot of my time, you know, watching TV if my parents aren't home and just sucking that up. Like a lot of yeah. people did in that era. Um, I think that juxtaposition definitely like laid an early foundation for me. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I think it's interesting because, okay, now my dog is making noises. What is, you're not eating dinner right now. Um, I think, you know, a lot of what I kind of like about what I've read from you oh. is that <laughs> I have to let my dog out of the room. There's yeah, no, it's, sort of got, like, it's like a, the I know, beach voice animal like, sounds. I don't even know we're on like some sort of, you know, Dr. Doolittle situation, but it's, it's kind of this non-binary thing, right? Like I feel like what you're talking about with nature and nurture with sort of art and science or art and, and, and sort of more sports consumerism. There's, I think what what we're all kind of getting to as we build these brands is that you can you can kind of be both, you know, and that it's in the it's where those two things kind of meet, where the magic happens, you know. And I I it was funny because our guest last week was talking about how a brand is not it's not art because there is like a consumerism piece to it. Right. It's not just for the sake of creating something beautiful, but building a great brand is an art, you know. Um, so did you did you go into something more right brainy, like as when you studied or, you know, did you think you were going to be in the art or sort of like the creative yeah. world? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've talked a little bit. I, I I think it's always good just being honest and upfront and there's power and vulnerability. And, yeah. you know, I, I try to have a lot of gratitude and I think as I've gotten older, you know, I've, I've developed a lot of a deeper appreciation for all that I've been given. And, but you only know what you know when you grow up and, you know, mm -hmm. my parents got divorced in, in middle school and didn't see, you know, my dad for a long time. He was just trying to figure his stuff out. And my mom mm -hmm. was an artist, which is cool. But then when she's got to provide for two kids, it was yeah. not cool and it was right. tough for everyone involved. And I was just started you know, when I entered in high school, I just was working all the time um, yeah. just to, to get by. It wasn't cool. I didn't have a car. It wasn't like cool high school movies. Like, And then mm. after high school, I didn't go to college because I didn't even have enough money to apply to college. It was like $200 right. to like apply to college. You know, it's like, yep. this sucks. Like, fuck this. You know, like, yeah. I'm just going to work. And I, my dad's a landscaper and I wasn't really talking to him. You know, he was doing his thing. I was doing mine. Mm -hmm. So I just worked for like another landscaping company. And that was my life. I was a kid yeah. who didn't go to college, you know, and I did good in school when I showed up. I barely graduated high school because I just didn't show up a lot. Not yeah. to be cool. I just, you know, going yeah. through what you go through. And so, yeah. you know, I, I, I grew up in Southampton on Eastern Long Island. And, you know, it's like a a tale of two cities. It's a, it's the Hamptons. It's a really rich place, yeah. but you know, I'm only when the summer people come and then, yeah. 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 And so I, I was friends with a lot of, there's a, a native American, um, it's technically called the territory, but it's called the reservation in my town, the Shinnecock, um, Indians. And I was, you know, friends with a lot still am. My, my good friend is the, the tribal chief right now of, of the, um, the, the Shinnecock, uh, Indians. Um, but I saw, you know, a guy as kind of like a, a counselor or something, mm -hmm. you know, they had a sliding scale in town and he was just like, yo, Emmett, you're like a smart guy. Like you're curious, like you, you, it's not bad to like stay at home, but I feel like there's more that you could see and explore in the world. I, I had mm -hmm. barely ever left Long Island my entire life, you know, mm -hmm. just had done road trips to Minnesota or like, <clears throat> like Florida a few times, but that's basically it going to the city a few times. And so I saved that money. Um, and I, and I, we looked at the furthest place on a globe and it was New Zealand. 
And so I went, oh let's go to New Zealand. And I was going to, I was going to get a ticket on one of those like cargo boats. Right. But I, it was actually like pretty cheap to get a, an airplane. So I, I went to New Zealand for um, like a quarter of a year. And then I went down to Puerto Rico where I'm now, you know, went there for like yeah. a month and I bought a camera before I went and took a lot of photographs and, you know, reconnected with my dad on the trip and spoke to my mom and they're like, yo, you should try to, you know, think about college. And so go to art school, you know, like you like art. Yeah. And so I applied and got into some, including um, NYU Tisch for photography, yeah. um, which was pretty cool. Like my portfolio was like photos in a envelope sent from right. New Zealand. <laughs> right. um, and, and, you, you know, didn't so, have your own personal website yet? Like the way yeah, you yeah. I didn't have yeah. a computer. I never right. had a computer. No, like, it's amazing. You know, and I guess I say all this, like, who cares about me to some extent? But like, I, I guess it's just like, I just, I like when people talk about their trials and tribulations and it's not. Yeah. And again, I, when I got older, I think I developed more of an appreciation for things that I w was so lucky for, you know, that I you just only know what you know when you're a kid and you feel totally. like the poor kid in your town and you don't have like clothes for school, you don't have money for food and you just got to do what you got to do. And I think that's the case for so many people. And I got some lucky breaks and, you know, I worked hard, but like people give themselves too much credit for working hard. A lot of it is just yeah. being at the right place at the right time. One I, of my I, favorite quotes, I don't, I don't, I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but it's like, you don't make good choices. You have good choices. Yeah. Like, I always feel, you know, I'm the first person to talk about sort of like my privilege and, and not having college debt, I think is like the number one thing that gives you a leg up in, in this world. And especially, you know, I talk a lot on the show about sort of the entrepreneurship worship that's going on and that it really sets people up for for heartache, right? Because they think I have this great idea. I'm just going to be able to go build this business because like you go girl. Um, yeah. But it's actually really hard to get money to build a business. And it's really surprising. Even people who have, you know, great ideas and great social media followings and have done great things before when it comes down to like getting investment, it's not, it's not easy. So I think to your point also, who you are and how you grow up, um, you know, totally informs everything that you do and what you put into it and what you end up creating and how you end up managing and, and your growth trajectory as a person, right? And it's kind of what makes it interesting. And I'm sure that there's a, like a tension in your work over time that's partly what made it so unique and special and iconic and part of how, you know, how it came to sort of build Gin Lane to be, you know, what was, I mean, I remember a few years ago, just like normal brands couldn't get time with you guys. Like it was just, you were just sought after, you know, you were like the kid on the dance floor with like a line and, you know, in the, in the hall <laughs> to dance with you. Um, yeah. So I, it's, I, you know. I mean, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's the, the irony, I guess, a little bit is like you, you can turn in life, like your strengths can become your weaknesses, but also your weaknesses can become your strengths. Totally. And I think like, I, I think I'm very adept at fitting into a lot of different groups, you know, social groups mm -hmm. or people or whatever it is. And that's probably developed from trying to fit in in school so that you don't get ragged on because, you know, you're wearing the same clothes three days in a row or something right. like that. Right. And so 
I think I was always trying to, I always said I would be a really good doorman in New York City because I could mm -hmm. always talk about like the stupid news or like <laughs> the weather or what happened mm -hmm. in the sports game or like right. what was on Entertainment Weekly on TV or TMZ yep. or whatever, just so I always had something to add to a conversation. And yeah. so I think I became like a big consumer just in my free time of tidbits of it. Like I used to love Ripley's Believe It or Not and, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, pre like what it politically meant. My favorite website was the Drudge Report because it yeah. was like a modern Ripley's Believe It or Not. It just had like wacky stuff, you know, exorcism in Brazil or, you know, like, you know, <laughs> right. two wheeled car, like question mark. Um, <laughs> and, and so like, I, I don't think I had a lot of like, confidence you know because i was just going through my tough time and in, in new zealand right. i was on my own and I, I just developed a sense of like okay well i'm all right as a person i i, I have yeah. a voice i can find it and then when i went to nyu i hated a lot of it because it was like 13th grade for everyone else and i'm yep. coming out of like basically Life. the wilderness yeah you know and <laughs> but what i thought was cool was like you know people are like oh you're an interesting guy because everyone was put into these little cement dorms and yeah it basically you just became judged more by who you who you were versus if you had a car or nice clothes, mm -hmm. you know, and it was kind of that gave me a lot of confidence as well. And th the thing that kind of happened for NYU that was really transformative for me was um, this was the early 2000s. And it was kind of like the kicking off of the digital revolution It had hit mm -hmm. newspapers and it was moving into photo and video um, where everything was basically going digital. And so um, you know, my first semester I was working in a photo store cause it was expensive to have paper right. and film. You had to develop it. It was like old, you know, mm -hmm. and the next semester, like I remember Agfa and Ilford to film companies declare bankruptcy. And I was working at the photo store. I was like, damn, something's going on. And mm -hmm. they had just got all this digital equipment, all these digital cameras. And so I just started being like, I can rent these for free. I can take photographs with them for free. I can upload them on a computer. There's photo editing skills. And then there's stuff that you could like build websites and show them online. So I just lived in this thing called the digital dark room and learned Photoshop and illustrator and basic HTML and Dreamweaver And yeah, you know, it, it just, it was free. It was all yeah. free versus how much all these atom based kind of things yeah. cost. And, and at that point I kind of was like, okay, I think, I think there's something here. I could like make money doing this versus the fifth, you know, dish washing dishes on weekends and mm -hmm. packing boxes and, going back home and landscaping and that are all, you know, good, honest labor. It's just hard as hell. And so I was right. like, I can make some money doing the stuff, doing art, you know, like basically like graphic design is called like application arts. Right. And so to mm -hmm. the person who did the prior podcast, I think, I think the Venn diagram is that it's art, which is applied. Right. And maybe it's right. not art unto itself, but I've always been a fan of like the application arts. And so, yeah, you, you, I like that. What you're applying is, is an art in itself. It just is, per se, Wikipedia more applicable, you know, in your everyday functional usage. Yep. Yeah, because I mean, there's certainly, a, I mean, a part to all of this. I mean, I'm, I'm like a brand junkie. Like I, I love design and I love smart strategy. You know, I think I was talking last week about, you know, when Audi and McDonald's and the, you know, Olympic Committee separated the, the arch and separated the circles, like, to do sort of a thing about social distancing. Like, I think there's just so much, there is so much art and so much creativity, and it's so smart. Um, yeah, it's communication. We're, we're yeah. super visual creatures. That's, that's why, like, yeah. you know, the, the visual mediums are so powerful in, in human life. 
And so Jin Lane, um, I mean, you went from photography to having sort of this incredible branding studio. How, what, how did that happen? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I guess, again, it's not like the woe is me. It's just trying to be like, hey, you know, entrepreneurship is hard and not always kind of like mm-hmm. linear is I dropped out of school because I was tired of paying, you know, debt. <laughs> like I, I just was like, again, fuck this. And right. <laughs> I just was like, I can make money. I know how to do this stuff that people want. Like, I don't need to learn anything more if I want right. to learn about, you know, fucking you know fresco paintings in the 1500s in italy like i'll just go read on my own i don't need Mm -hmm. to be spending this insane amount of money yeah um but i whatever student let student debt is so frustrating so so i was like okay like and i just was freelancing but people would never pay me on time it was always frustrating Mm -hmm. and and so i again i'm from southampton there's a a rich road called gin lane and i was like okay Mm -hmm. well maybe if i call the the business gin lane (laughs) People will take it more seriously and no one knew what gin lane was in the city, you know, but, Uh um, it just was a a name. And I think again, the confidence issues was, I didn't feel as confident, just Emmett shine apartment, Chinatown billing, you know, some record company or some drink company or whatever that I was doing work for. But if I said I work for a company, it just felt so much more legit. So for the first year or two, that's great advice. That's what just gin lane was, was just like, just a way that I, I could present myself, you know, as like in my early 20s as something more professional than yeah. I felt I was. That's amazing. And then how long, I mean, what year was that that you kind of started <clears throat> it essentially? Yeah, I started Gin Lane in 2007. And, uh, you know, I've been freelancing for a, a, a few years, a year or two. And then, it, you know, it, it took off. And then, you know, uh, hired a bunch of people and all my friends that I knew kids off the internet. Like I've always been a good, I think like gregarious curator of like emerging people and talent. And then mm-hmm. the next year, you know, the, the floor fell out, the whole kind of economy, you know, really fell out and a lot of advertising dollars dried up and we were, yeah. you know, we were doing outdoor marketing. We were doing, um, you know, we were doing a lot of work with the seamless. It was called seamless web at the time. And mm-hmm. basically like, everything kind of dried up and people said, Hey, we have a fraction of the money, you know, is there anything you could do? And I said, yeah, we know how to build websites. We know how to do mm-hmm. stuff online. That doesn't cost nearly as much as, as all this physical out of, out of home activation things we mm-hmm. were kind of street team doing. And so that kind of really, you know, pushed us to Jim Lane to being more of a, a digital based company. And we were, we, you know, a lot of artists and, and boutiques and galleries, they were really struggling to sell. So they were like, okay, let me try to put my stuff online. So, you know, and I, I did a, I did a lot of work for that downtown creative set and just said like, Hey, just pay me a few thousand bucks. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. not really going to make any money, but I don't know anyone. So like, if you have meetings with, with bigger companies, tell them that like, you know, some kids that are doing good work downtown, that'll, that'll get that work into them on for the cheap. Right. And and that's was like the first kind of referral system I set up. And, one thing led to another and we got uh, Stella McCartney, um, mm-hmm. uh, Adidas by Stella McCartney, just because she liked that we had an art background and mm-hmm. we were just like little New York City snob, you know, computer mm-hmm. kids. <laughs> and Adidas hated us because for the same reasons. We weren't right. like Sid Lee or RGA. It was like five kids renting an office um, for like a day when they would have meetings. <laughs> um, but we learned a lot from them. They had like right. a, a brand book that was like 200 pages long. And like yeah. out of like the Devil Wears Prada, they came in 
and just dropped it on our desk and we're like, right. study this and, and left. threw their coats at you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so like it, it, we, they taught us so much about like how that world of high fashion works and how important brand is and all the do's and don'ts, you know, that like later we just got so into the fashion world because of that. And then the, really the chapter where Jin Lane becomes Jin Lane is, is when Warby Parker and Bonobos and, and then Michael from Everlane, who, you know, mm-hmm. was in San Francisco, but spent time in New York for, in, in the early days, you know, they were like, yo, you know, Zappos kind of, you know, rest in peace and Tony, like 2.0, mm-hmm. we're going to focus on customer experience, but also, you know, aesthetic and like visuals. And we got to make these websites hot and they got to work on mobile. And at the time right. we had really picked up steam in the, in the fashion world. So we're doing Helmet Lang, Theory, J. Crew, Michael wow. Kors, oh Stella gosh. McCartney, you know, all the little marketing websites and creative stuff. And it was separate from e-com because mm-hmm. e-com was all these black box solutions where you, there was no like Shopify was like, you know, I, I mean, it was, it was nothing. It was like right. a weird thing that was modular. <laughs> if anything, you know, right. it wasn't the, the, the cooler version of Amazon that it's kind of become today. Right. And, and so those guys were like, yo, we want to make experiences like those marketing websites you're doing. You know, if you remember back in the day, people would do like flash websites and then mm-hmm. after flash, they would do just cool lookbooks, you know, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they want to do that. We're like, we want to do that for our proper websites. We want to, you know, big visuals. We want to work on mobile. We want to shoot cool models, but we want it to right. be one, you know, one click easy to purchase and it's easy to talk to customer service. And so we just got along super well. These were all, I'm a college dropout and they're all business school, like, you know, mm-hmm. geniuses. But we saw the world the same way, that all data should be interconnected. You should be one customer for brands. You know, you should be able to talk to the brands. If you want to know where yeah. your package is, if you if you have a questions about trying something on, you can message them on this new thing called Twitter. You can right. go on a thing <laughs> called YouTube, you know, and, yeah. and they would get back to you. Warby Parker would get back to you right away. But Nomos had the whole, you know, like ninjas and rock stars, their nerdy terminology, but like you know, they, they really wanted to win through customer experience. And then Everlane, you know, they, they wanted to make something that took from the worlds of high fashion, but mm-hmm. brought it to basics in the way that like a J crew and LL Bean had done in a direct to consumer way through mail order catalogs, a generation right. before. Right. No, I mean, it's kind of amazing. Like the, you, you had much more of an education doing all that than you ever would have in any other way. But I guess, before we kind of move on to pattern, um, I, I I wonder if you can take sort of like somewhere between one and four sort of big lessons that you took working with all of these brands um, that kind of became like your your principles for when you started your own. You know, like what what were the kind of if you had to sum up that era just like the big lessons that you learned and, and maybe they're simple and you kind of now take them for granted, but like what, what became sort of like the big sort of tenets for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I would say like one thing that is super important, um, is, is like uh, customer insights. You know, mm-hmm. I think, um, I think I learned a lot about how much those guys, you know, it's not, it's not like the customer's always right, but the customer has the insights and mm-hmm. all those companies were, it's not like they're data driven. Like it's a bunch of quants, you know, they, they mm-hmm. were very driven in the sense of like, well, what are people saying? Right. What are people, what is the feedback that people have? You know, like, do pe- are people liking this? How are they responding to it? And I think 
an extreme of that was later was working with hymns, you know, and mm-hmm. those guys were out of like a, a, a small VC group um, called Atomic. And, you know, they, they had built basically a, a brand. Um, it was called like club clubhouse or like club mm-hmm. room or whatever, like not, <laughs> not, not that the web app, not that the talking app is called like club room or whatever. But anyway, right. it was a fake brand that they built, put on Instagram, built a website, you know, did, you know, uh, paid ads on, on Facebook and Google just to test like what people yeah. were looking for. And that's how they learned so much where they're like, okay, it's more, it's more diverse of an audience. It's a younger audience. These are the products that people are really responding well. And they spent like half a year just like really finding and testing that product market fit before they went out and were like, hey, here's our whole business, you know? And I think that was just such a valuable lesson was like, and that's what like I think direct to consumer at its core, I don't think any business necessarily, it's very hard just to be mono-channel. And I think sometimes people misnomer, you know, forget that like a lot of the successful direct to consumer businesses, they end up having their own retail, they end up doing wholesale, they end up doing retail, you know, like you you have to spread it out to reach more people and diversify. But going online first is like the fastest way to go to get a direct relationship with the customer, get the feedback on what's working and what's not working. And you can iterate way faster than if you have an end cap in Ohio, or you do a big brick and mortar build out in, you know, the West Village. Yeah, no, and not only that, but I mean, like for us, for example, you know, we're, uh, you know, with one of our big accounts, like their their reset calendar, we're not, when they add more SKUs to their assortment of ours, like it's not until September. So they could love us. We could be cranking. Our velocities could be amazing. We know we're not getting any more stores or any more SKUs until, you know, nine months from now. And it it's just... You know, I think that that, I mean, for a fresh brand, obviously, I have different thoughts about being D to C first. But I do think that now that we've kind of built that that channel out for ourselves, it's not just about disrupting sort of the sales part and taking out the middleman. Um, it really is about like getting getting intimate with your consumer, getting insights much faster you know, testing things out, testing out messaging. Like there's so much that you can learn. Learning. Yeah. Isn't slowed down. Um, Any other big ones that you want to say? Man, I I think treat your team well. Um, I think all they, they, you know, they've all really aspired to build, you know, these incredible cultures. I mean, I've always had such deep admiration for, you know, um, Neil and Dave and, you know, at mm-hmm. the founding days, um, Andy and Jeff from Warby, you know, for, for, I always would love to go to their offices, you know, and I would just soak up like, what weird thing are they doing today? You know, and right. it's like everyone, there's a haiku or they're having a dress up day <laughs> or there's some new food or they're having someone give a talk. It just, it, mm-hmm. it, to me, it was like what I wanted college to be or something. It was mm-hmm. like a place to meet other people and learn. And it doesn't matter, you know, any of this stuff, whatever, you're, you're just kind of accepted and everyone feels aligned. And they set, they just set great missions at the top. Like they're, they're value driven, they're mission driven, um, it, you know, and they're trying to, you know, make these very significant businesses, but they're trying to do it in a way that also adheres to, I think the principles that they want to stand behind. Right. You know, I mean, like, especially like Neil coming from a nonprofit background for vision spring where he was working, you know, and, 
lots of underdeveloped regions around the world to provide, mm-hmm. you know, glasses for those that couldn't access it. Like if you don't have glasses and you have bad vision, like that sucks, you know? Yeah. So that was his prior background moving into, you know, um, before Warby. So right. I, I, I always was always inspired by that. And even for like Jin Lane, we're always trying to be super active in our community and do local donations. And, right. you know, we always do fundraisers and, you know, brought a lot of that into, into pattern. Like, you know, we've raised money, we're trying to build a significant business, but it's kind of like the multi-stakeholder model. We're, we're trying to be considerate, you know, on the supply chain side, on our team side, you know, on the community side. It's not that yeah. we're like the Milton Friedman, you know, shareholders and return all profits to them, which, yeah. you know, you, more and more millennial and Gen Z businesses have, uh, uh, adhere to that. They want to be, you know, they want to be well-rounded. They want to be thoughtful. They want to, you know, have their forms, whether it's like right. Everlane radical transparency, you know, or, or not, it's, it, they just want to be conscientious. Um, and, and I think that's great. I think it's hard because you're putting yourself out there a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But I think brands at the essence of a lot of this conversation stuff, they, they are personifications of mm-hmm. the founding vision. They are yeah. avatars for how you want to manifest yourself, you know, to the rest of the world. And so I think if you deeply consider that as an entrepreneur or someone on a founding team or someone thinking about going to a business, it's like, what does it stand for? It isn't, it isn't just a business. If you're lucky right. enough to work at some place that cares, branding isn't just fonts and colors and you can go on Twitter and people can talk about blanding and this, that, and the third. And you know, mm-hmm. that's all fine and dandy. But what I think like real brands are, they have personality. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, I think it's pretty, I, I've, I've used this example before, but I remember when I had the cooking school, um, someone opened something with a very similar name and a, they almost copied my exact logo and it was all subway tile. Like it, it was so, it was so offensive to me. <laughs> like there was really nothing I could do about it. And everyone's like, oh, you know, the, it, someone said to me, you could literally take the building across the street and call it Heaven's Kitchen and literally make it exactly the same, make it look exactly the same, put all the same everything in there. And you would walk in and maybe you would think, hmm, for a second, it's the same. But then there's like a feeling and no one can get the feeling, right? And I think that's partly what you're talking about, not necessarily in a physical space, but that's why when it's not authentic, you might buy it the first time. You might swipe up on Instagram. You might read the thing. But at the end of the day, you're not becoming connected intimately with that brand because it's not true. And I, I love that that still exists. I love that there's a lot of noise out there and there's a lot of stuff. But when there isn't like a trueness, people can feel it, you know? Yeah, like, I, I mean, I always was impressed by the sweet green guys as well. Mm-hmm. Like when they were, you know, popping, going crazy, it was like everyone was trying to copy them. But like, yep. they really had a, a more authentic mission and, and 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 just stuff that they really wanted to get across. And they would go to every store, just, you know, like and spend time there. And, you know, I think you see a lot of these brands merging today with like young entrepreneurs. It's like, you know, it, it's Nugs or Magic Spoon or Starface or mm-hmm. Gia or what what have you you know olipop or you know it, it mm-hmm. just feels like people got pissed at something and they're like damn i wish there was a solution for that and you know what right. i'm gonna have some fun while i do it and yeah i think and i'm that- not gonna take myself so seriously yeah. i'm gonna do it in kind of like a little bit of a you know um and, I, yeah 
I think that was also kind of like somewhere where we were trying to land for, for pattern as well. Um, was that like, we wanted it to be taken seriously from like a quality and design perspective, but we also, you know, wanted it to be, um, artsy and artful and, you know, let your hair down a little bit, at least on mm -hmm. the parent brand from pattern. My mom full circle, you know, painted all the visuals, you know, for, for patterns <laughs> world and did the logo. So um, cool. it, 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 yeah. And I, I think we wanted it to just be like, I think for our audience, like we were trying to really focus on, combating burnout and everyone working too much and being so mm -hmm. stressed out all the time and spending all times on our on our phones was like why don't we try to create a you know a bunch of brands that are mission driven and have great design and pull from you know inspiring cultures around the, the world you know that spend more time in their homes and try to mm -hmm. infuse a little bit of that let's make this our next 10-year mission we did gin lane for 10 years let's make pattern you know this this next mission where we build, we build or bring together some of these great kind of brands for the home under one roof, you know, which is pattern that stands for something. And they could be stronger together than all these, you know, D2C businesses that are out there fighting, you know, on their own, which is, yep. it's really hard. A bunch of small yeah. ice cubes melt a lot faster, you know, than one ice cube that's, that's bigger because it's less surface area. Yeah. I mean, I think on that note, we're going to take a little break and we're going to come back and talk about pattern because now I have so many questions, but that was a really great sort of segue into why, um, why you did it. So we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. The Hearst family has raised cattle on California's central coast since 1865. Today, Hearst Ranch's signature product is their 100% grass-fed, completely hormone and antibiotic-free beef. The Hearst Ranches have always treated their animals with great care. Their cattle live a completely natural existence as foragers and grazers. Well-managed grazing fertilizes the land naturally, sustains a seasonal rhythm to the ranches, and produces a remarkable meat whose flavor is the authentic taste of the American West. Hearst Ranch beef is available seasonally May through August in select whole food markets throughout California and all year round at their retail locations in San Simeon and Paso Robles. And now, HRN listeners in Arizona, Nevada, and California can get Hearst Ranch beef delivered right to their door through Larder Meat Company. Go to lardermeatco.com and shop the 100% grass-fed box to stock your freezer with Hearst Ranch beef. That's L-A-R-D-E-R, meatco.com. Learn more about the storied history, farming practices, and conservation efforts of Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. I'm back with Emmett Shine from Pattern. Okay, so before the break, we were talking about building Pattern, and I love the mission, and I love, you know, looking to other cultures that do spend more time in their home, and I mean, kind of crazy, the timeliness of it because I don't think in February 2019 or 2020, is it still 2020? <laughs> yeah. You know, we all kind of were like, I'm going to be spending the next nine months in my house or a year or more. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about, I feel like there's something, I feel like we're almost like in, you know, in the circus when you have like the elephant on the ball, or I don't know, is it a seal? It's some animal and the ball yeah. is rolling. I feel like right now, maybe it's because of the pandemic, maybe it's because of sort of all of the social justice stuff, the political stuff, like, I don't know, something's happening. 
um, where I feel like there's a shift in it, like there's a shift in the zeitgeist of brands. And I feel like you can speak to this better probably than anyone I've ever had on because you were so integral to a lot of them. But I feel like that kind of early stage D to C, the, you know, and I don't want to be like it was blanding or whatever, because I think it was really innovative at the time. But there were sort of the, there was sort of like an aesthetic that was like very Instagram friendly. There was an earnestness to the, all the communication. You know, there was sort of this like a lot of explaining, a lot of behind the scenes. Here are our factories, you know, and I think in a way that got corrupted. Um, and I'm interested to hear your take on it. But I, I feel like it got a little bit, first of all, people were jumping on that bandwagon who were totally full of shit. But also, I think consumers just kind of got their eyes glazed over at some point. And something's happening now where there's a shift. Um, and we are all still, I mean, we're, you know, the truth of the matter is we are making things that are hopefully useful and hopefully helping people and solving problems, but ultimately they are consumer goods that are being produced and being sold and being shipped and eventually being thrown away. Um, and there is, you know, we are doing it, yes, to improve people's lives, but there is also some, there, there is a capitalist nature to what we're doing also, which I feel like somehow people have, gotten the sense that brands are supposed to not be making money or, you know, there, there's something going on. And I'm just kind of curious. I'd like to hear you riff a little bit on it because I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll try to talk on a, a few different parts of this. And I think it's good. And I think it's, it's meaty in some ways and super just light in other ways. Like, mm -hmm. I, I guess the thing is that, like, I one thing I did take away from, like, I don't know, being around my mom and going to art school when I did go to it and stuff was, like, I don't know, I just looked at a lot of art. And I, you know, and, you know, <laughs> like, you see stuff that's, it goes through different movements. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, is that, like, is that modern or is that postmodern? Is that impressionist? Is it post-impressionist? Like, right. there's movements. And there are always reactions to stuff that's going on yeah. in the contemporary world that is also essentially a communicative reaction to what was occurring before yeah. and that, that you just i use art because you know for hundreds of years there have been you know communities of artists and art critics and you know they've been creating forms of expression and communication and you know discussing and critiquing them and countering them and you know there's this for dada and there's this for for bauhaus and mm -hmm. you know it, it there's this of cubism you know i mean that's just like you know, Western Europe as well. Like you can go around the world and, and see different forms of expression that have been created in reactions to different things that were mm -hmm. created before that. And so yeah. I think sometimes like, it's just easy to like get myopic in life, especially now where so much information is so accessible so fast that you need curation and stuff becomes like reductionary. And so like a lot of, I think the branding of that era, you know, coming out of like, Zappos is so innovative for like, the, the, you know, the e-commerce nature, the culture he created, the mm -hmm. convenience, the customer service, mm -hmm. right? But, like, mm -hmm. it wasn't known as this, like, beautiful, beautiful like, right. you branded, artful, 
cultural attache business. That was mm-hmm. that was never per se his his thing. You know, it wasn't right. his, he's more like a it's more like geek culture in terms of taking yeah. technology and using it to connect people with products in a more friendly way. And I think a lot of what the Warby Bonobos and Everlane were trying to do was be a counter to some of the businesses like I say I would grow up watching on TV. Like Nike, everyone loves Nike, but they went through their whole scandal in terms of yeah. where their stuff was made in the 90s. And I'm not even trying to single out Nike. I'm just saying like yeah. basically for like our generation or millennials or whatever, when you're growing up at that time, we were we were very skeptical, I think, post 9-11, post 2008, you know, like what who are behind the businesses? What mm-hmm. do they stand for? Where right. is the money coming from? And so the reaction to that became essentially, hey, we care. We're doing right. this business to do right and we're going to be transparent about that right that's that's why that that became kind of a default narrative it was a, mm-hmm. a narrative in response to you know the the mega corps which were faceless and you know yeah. were still products of milton friedman's doctrine yeah you know from you know the, the 70s and yeah and they messed up right those guys let us let us led us astray right totally. i mean that's why we had 2008 to, yeah the yeah. 80s and deregulation and it's yeah. everything is interconnected everyone sits yeah. here and just talks about fucking typography but right. it's all interconnected there's so yeah. many different things that you can you, the good website is wikipedia you go and you click something you click another thing you click another thing just go down a k-hole and you see how interrelated mm-hmm. interwebbed everything is so mm-hmm. so but basically in terms of like the branding you know, in, in, in these type of businesses, yeah, it got co-opted because that becomes the default. And so now right. everyone has a founder page. Everyone is a business which is mission driven. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got, you know, factory, you know, pages and something that became innovative and disruptive that was so different from how businesses looked and the nature of business looked all of a sudden, as you said, be kind of glazed over at the default. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's where people become cynical and that's where people become you know, jaded and by people Mm -hmm. that expresses itself as customers. And, and, you know, and I I think today some of the responses, it it fragments, it fragments in different ways. And, you know, the the guy Venkatesh Rao has a website, Ribbon Farm, and I, you know, did a talk where, where I quoted, you know, some of his phrases and concepts, he came up with premium mediocre. And that's like, (laughs) you know, uh, that's like McDonald's selling a signature collection. It's, it's Starbucks having Italian names, but it's also flattening down Balenciaga, you know, and Prada doing dad hats and like, you know, air monarchs going from the guy who lawn mows, you know, the uncle in your neighborhood to being (laughs) like, you know, normcore kind of uh, right. writer's chic, you know, and then <laughs> the response and that's and we did a lot of premium mediocre, uh-huh. you know, work because that that was kind of tongue in cheek, culturally referential, but like normal, but interesting. Right. And then, you know, he talks about how Gen Z is like domestic cozy, you know, and there's a yeah. lot of influences from more Internet based, you know, youth cultures like Japan, where like, mm-hmm. you know, the, or Korea or, or, or parts of Eastern Asia, they spend so much time inside on their phones, on their computers, right. and they create these quirky worlds and forms of communication and chat that has really, you know, the flattening of information across the world influenced the post 9-11 born generation. And they right. don't take themselves as seriously. It's not as outwardly motivated, which is more millennial Instagram centric. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's more cozy. It's more sweatpants dancing bad on TikTok. And I think that those brands, a lot of them, it's kind of a given that they shouldn't be, you know, uh, dickheads, that they should care about their (laughs) culture, that they should have a charitable component. 
But when they're, we go on their websites, it's bad graphics. It's banners that are moving. It's things that are spinning. It's just playful. Mm-hmm. And it's, kind, it's, an, it's an anti. It's an anti-design. It's an anti-aesthetic, which yeah. is in response to you know the, the, the world perfect, where, yeah. where Jin Lane did a lot of work. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I, got, I don't take any offense to anything because at the time you, you do what you know and you think makes sense. But life moves on and life right. moves faster now than it ever did. And, yeah. you know, and I, th- I think this year has just torn apart the fabrics of society in so many ways. The whole yeah. freaking world, billions of people from <laughs> India to Argentina to Pakistan to Ohio were, were sheltering <laughs> and quarantining in place for a global mm-hmm. pandemic ripping through every community, yeah. you know, and, and you've got uprisings, you know, all over the world. In the U.S., it's like our version of like the Arab Spring, you know, mm-hmm. around especially African-Americans and what they've been dealing with for hundreds and hundreds of years here that yep. so many people don't even know. It's not taught yep. in school books and everyone then that's, you know, many people who are white or or immigrants, they, they don't necessarily know their role in it and if, mm-hmm. or how to communicate or what to say. And everyone's on social media stuck at home. And it's a confluence of so many factors, you know, that I, I think just happens at the it's like an it's like 1968 or something yep. right it's yeah, like again totally. you look at you look at history it's like you you know you the spanish flu of 1919 during world war one you know it, it this was 2020 is a, a crazy year it's a so, crazy year so for you right like taking your experience knowing that you were a part of something that there was a response to which is kind of cool right also being in the middle of this global pandemic and looking at the brands that you've already built, right? These two out of, you know, what, what will be more pattern, uh, equal parts and, um, open spaces. Right. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you integrate that? Like, how do you, how do you as a person integrate what's going on? How do you talk to your team about it? How do you, you know, how do you innovate thinking about it? Like, how do you know, you know, I always think about it like I'm sailing a boat, you know, you got to let out the sail a little bit to catch the wind, but you also have to keep a pretty firm grip on it so that it doesn't start like wafting all over the place, right? Like, how do you guys literally verbally discuss how you're going to grow this thing with all of the storm that's yeah. going on around you? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, I, I think I think my experience of starting Gin Lane and putting everything into it in 2007, kicking it off. And then 2008 losing everything, you know, Mm -hmm. but like still maintaining, you know, it's like, I I was just kind of like, I I guess I, you know, I don't know. I just, I hadn't come from that much. And so I was so pumped to have a business that was doing a few hundred thousand dollars. And, you know, then when the ceiling fell out the next year, I was kind of like, well, fuck it, man. I'll just go get a job. What do I care? Right. Like, I'm not scared of this shit. I've been broke before. Like, mm-hmm. this, you know, you, you get through it. What else you got to lose? You hit bottom right. before. It's like, I'll bounce right back like I already did. So I just toughed it out and it was really hard. But uh, that resilience and that confidence in yourself, you know, that's important. And I think for 2020, I try to really be there in that sense for the team. Be like, no, man, we're going to get through this. Like, it's going to be hard. It's going to be mm-hmm. really hard for a lot of you personally for so many reasons right like you know from people being affected you know with loved ones getting sick or passing away from covid or for losing a job or your your business or your livelihood being affected to black lives matter and other social issues affecting people in different ways like 
it's just a lot to process. And, right. you know, it's hard sometimes to go to work and think about making a social post or what, you know, what's going on and, you know, in a spreadsheet. But I think it can be a good distraction. And I think if you find ways that are authentic to you, you don't have to, you know, say stuff or post stuff because, you know, and I think we all kind of felt that when we're all at home that we have to say something and have mm-hmm. responses to, you know, different stimuli and we are social creatures. So you, you, you don't want to feel not part of a tribe or not part of a collective. I think it's just important to remember what is your voice and, and what is your perspective on things. And, right. and for pattern, you know, I tried to, I tried for us to be very conscientious and, you know, I think pattern, especially on social and our emails, like we are not selling anything. So we can, we can interview people. We can talk about, you know, some of these issues a little bit more in depth if we think it can contribute to the conversation. Right. Um, and then for open spaces and equal parts, it's it's having a soul, you know, and, and showing that we care. But, you know, at the same time, it's it's also remembering that we are a business and, and mm-hmm. that's OK. That's right. OK. That goes back to the, you know, they're not at odds, you know, that that you can still have values and you can still have growth. And that, you know, I, I'm just a little nervous for the brands that sort of set themselves up as like fighting the machine. It's because, hard. Yeah. you know, you can't really be a brand and have growth and fight a machine because you are part of it. You know, you can, you can, it, you know, there, I think the debate can, can go on and on and on, you know. Um, it's like concentric but, circles of life. Like you've got to take care of yourself first, mm-hmm. no matter yeah. what, if you're in, it, just if you're alone, if you're in a relationship, yeah. whatever, it's your concentric circles, take care of yourself first, then you can take care of your, your close loved ones, your family, whoever that may be, you know, then you can look to take care and give to, you know, the, the friends you have around you, the right. peer group you have around you, you know, then maybe the, the company or looser social network or, or, or looser, looser connections you have. Right. And then, you know, like stage five, you can, you can really be there and give to people, you know, more that are strangers. And then the highest, you know, furthest out one is, is anonymous, but that takes a long time. And I think sometimes people jump ahead, you know, so in the world of business, it's like, take care of your business first, take care of your employees, take care of the people that are your, your partners in supply chain or or contractors, like try to do the right thing there first. That's most important. Well, it's interesting. So there, there are two questions I want to ask that kind of like pop out of what you just said. One is that um, I read somewhere that you, I don't know if you wrote it or it was an interview, but you're, you called it direct with consumer instead of direct to consumer. Um, you take credit. You, you did say that, right? I just yeah. want to make sure. Okay. <laughs> because I think it was you. Um, but I liked it for a couple of reasons. One, obviously I like it because I've never been comfortable just selling my wares, right? Like I was always, I always wanted to create a place for people. And that is what I originally did. And now that I have a product, um, to me, it's really important that no one ever feels like I'm like, you know, hawking my stuff, you know, that I really am genuinely trying to help them feel better in the kitchen, that that it hasn't been my life like mission since I was in college and that this is just an extension of that. So on a personal level, I like it because it's not like two, I'm not, I'm not just pushing stuff out. I'm having a conversation with you and I'm trying to help you so that you feel more confident and more creative in the kitchen. So I just love that as a, as a concept, but I think 
also, and maybe a little bit differently, it's, it's also what you were just talking about, where the business is, the business is almost its own like organism. And that organism is in conversation with the other, you know, the consumer or the buyer at the, at the retailer or, you know, whoever it is on the other side of that conversation. And that with is, I think, the key to really, truly long-lasting relationships, right? Because if it's just two, then it's just an arrow pointing in one direction. But if it's a with, then it's, it's an arrow going both directions and it assumes that there is, there is a we in, in the company. Does that make sense? Like, it, it was my interpretation of what you said, but... Yeah, I think yeah. I think you summated it great with with the arrows. I think that's the the gist of it. Is that I read a lot of um, direct to consumer um, is kind of um, a technical or functional or mechanical mm-hmm. um, acronym, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, it's um, it's selling goods directly to consumers, right? right? Through the internet is what it's come to mean. Even though, again, you know, like having a store where you make you sell your items or doing a catalog is also direct to mm-hmm. consumer. Um, yeah. So uh, I think the W for with is is as simple as the arrow comes back, you know, mm-hmm. and if you are fortunate enough that you can have a direct relationship with your customer, which many businesses, you know, d- don't always get, you know, as small right. businesses do in the small town general store type stuff like it's like, hey, you know, uh, Mr. and Miss Smith, like how's, right. you know, Jeffrey, you know, like, no, Grandpa, we did, Grandpa we did Joe, you know, uh, yeah. th- th- you know, the next uh, candy cane, you know, bash right. is on me, whatever, like, right. hey, you know, whatever, like you just have relationships, <laughs> like it's a small town. So much of us move to cities to get these jobs or education and you lose those small town relationships. And I think a big motivator for us was intimacy at scale is trying mm-hmm. to, you know, form conversations, form relationships and just listen, make, make customers feel not anonymous, you know, that, yeah. that, that they matter. And that if they ask a question, we'll listen, they can hit us up, you know, through customer service, they can hit us up on our website, they can talk to us on social, it's, it doesn't always have to be we, we, we've had, you know, SMS and stuff that we've done, we're always testing and experimenting, we do mm-hmm. consumer insights, we do focus groups, like, we're just constantly trying to talk to our customers and potential customers to listen. That's a yeah. good conversation. It's a two-way dialogue, right? So that's why I think we, we're we just playing with the notion with. It's not like we're doing – we don't have any IP or patented technology. We're just saying, right. you know, I, I think a lot of the great businesses are around us in this space, you know, they are direct with consumer. They yeah, are, no. They are For forming sure. relationships. And hospitality, which you know really well, that yeah. that's your whole – your whole name of the game is forming yep. those relationships. A hundred percent. I want to switch gears just for the last couple of minutes, because we've talked a lot about sort of like big picture brand and theory. And I want to talk about brass tacks because it's really hard to set up one supply chain for one business. I'm just kind of curious, like, were you surprised that building two brands at the same time meant also building? I'm sure there's a bunch of sort of like efficiencies that you have across the board, but like you're still, you're doing two different companies at the same time that I would imagine maybe was a little more complicated than you thought it was going to be, or has it 
not surprised you that way. Yeah, I was talking to some people on our team before this podcast. <laughs> I said, if, if we talk on um, supply chain and logistics, I would, you know, give a shout out to, to our team and, <laughs> um, and, and to every team out there and anyone who is listening that is on supply chain, is on yeah. logistics or ops, like, you know, they're, they're really the unsung heroes for totally. a lot of these e-com businesses. And I guess if, if you're listening and you, you work <laughs> on or with those teams, thank you. And <laughs> if, if you're listening and you support, you know, the, the Shopify based businesses, audience, they are small businesses too, you know, like right. it's, it's really hard to do fulfillment. And so yeah. if you're buying from a company that like is trying to get you some goods and they're not using Amazon and they're trying to do it themselves with their team, you know, just, just have some appreciation. Give them like a little slack. Yeah. 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 Some gratitude. So I want to shout out our amazing team for how hard they've worked because again, like setting up June lane, 2007, going to 2008, we set a pattern in 2019 and then we went into 2020. And so, right. you know, yeah. trying to set up, you know, your supply chains for, for pattern, which is architected as this multi-brand kind of, you know, hold co. And so our first two businesses, boy, oh boy, what a fun year to dabble <laughs> in global supply chain coming, you know, out of China and, and, and working across the, the whole globe with different factories and suppliers. Like right. it has been crazy, you know, but again, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so while it's been so difficult and so challenging for not only pattern you know and we're lucky right it's kind of like feast or famine to some extent we're, equal parts is cookware yeah. open spaces is home organization there I mean, our whole thesis was trying to help people spend more time at home so yep. you know th this year everyone is spending time at home the, yep. the only problem is we're not the only people in either of those right. categories and we're we're a small startup trying to establish our, our our footing which means when you go to factories and you do your, your scouting and you say, oh, these guys are great and they treat their workers great and this looks awesome. Mm -hmm. Lots of other legit yep. businesses think that as well. And then you go to, you know, do a purchase order and someone else is doing a, you know, a 10 times larger purchase order. They it's come hard, first. you know, yeah. and so that's why so many of these, these brands, ourselves included in, in cooking and cookware in the kitchen or mm -hmm. in home or home organization were sold out you know, for such long periods this year. And yeah. man, oh man, our, our team on supply chain and ops, like they've worked so many long nights and so many weekends. They really have had like the quote unquote startup, you know, first year. Yeah. Um, no, it is funny because people will say to me sort of like, oh my gosh, this must be amazing. Everyone's cooking at home now. So like your sauces must be booming. And, you know, to some extent, yeah, we've had a great year. Fortunately, it has been. But what they don't really understand is like, it doesn't just, it's not just like you exist and then all these people want to cook from home. So there's like 75 steps that happen yeah, yeah. in between like you existing and going into their refrigerators or in your case, like their linen closet or, you know, but I do know, I mean, just as an aside, I know several people that have moved in the last couple of months and every one of them has bought like the shoe rack that you make, the boxes that you can use to like put things in and the in the guest closet. Like there's open spaces in most people at this point I know who have moved houses. That wasn't a very grammatically yeah, it, correct way to no, say it. it but it's awesome to hear. It's there. Um and it's making it. And you know, I people who listen to this regularly know my sort of admiration of supply chain and operations. I just end up talking about brand and marketing and sales more because I get really insecure about talking about ops and logistics. Um, yeah, it's just hard. because it's just 
it's uh, it's intense stuff. And I ask a lot of questions and I feel oh, like I yeah. that most of the time. Um, Look, I, I mean, yeah. I think, you know, I'll say two things from the, tra the, the transition of gin lane to pattern that, and again, I think even the direct with consumer, it's like, I haven't even, I haven't even talked about our brands because I'm just, you know, trying to right. think what is like, <laughs> what is helpful for the audience. But I think for yeah. gin lane, we just worked with bits. We just work with computers. Our overhead was our employees and, mm -hmm. and computers, you know, and, and uh, Adams is hard. So I yep. would say we did a lot of branding and now we're, we're actually building businesses. And <laughs> when, yeah. when you build a business, you gotta, you know, be overseeing and thinking and working through every single facet of it. And it's so crazy to me how fast, like I'll say two things. It's so crazy to me how fast you can innovate and move bits, right? Like you can just do things. That's why like the direct with consumer also is like, we'll put up like, we'll have like AB split testing for, for different landing pages or for different ads. And we can go and test them out with different little groups and get feedback right away and just go and iterate and edit right. them and then re-release them. If we want to do an update, you know, to mm -hmm. um, the underbed storage for open spaces, or we want to come out with, you know, equal parts 2.0, it takes months and months and months and so much money and so much people involved. It's because oh, Adams as are so it, hard. It's funny because an I remember so learning to me today in, that I'm like bookmarked on pocket when I was getting my master's and, I think and it was about I, food I and sustainability. We talked about sort of like really excited to read moving it. And people, I think people that are moving, listening, if you, you know, you moving would also goods like this too. and moving um, ideas I'm just gonna keep or moving information and but, just the weight, you know, and picturing the weight of what you're trying to move is it's like a different way to think about all of these businesses, right? And businesses that are that are like mine, you know, I had a very, I was moving people around for 10 years, eight years, you know, it was, it was very much physical. I was moving furniture. I was moving, you know, I was shifting like human bodies, you know, in the hospitality space. And now I'm moving goods, which has gotten lighter, you know, maybe in my next business, <laughs> I'll just sort of stick with, ideas and, you know, things that are, you know, transmittable in the air because, uh, you know, it's not my strong suit, but it definitely gets easier as you go from, you know, the weight. But did you find the, the article? Yeah. So, so yeah. basically, um, it is called, um, oh my God, I just clicked it. Oh yeah. Uh, cracks in the great stagnation and okay. the great stagnation is essentially a concept that like, a lot of the innovation led especially by America since like 1970 has been bits based and it has been in software coding and mm -hmm. computation. It has not been in atoms. Right. And that the article is basically saying, Hey, you know, there's some signs that the great stagnation is potentially coming to a close. And I mm -hmm. guess I say that because, it's so amazing to me coming from Jin Lane where you just work with bits and you're building computers and websites and stuff like how fast and innovative that space is. And then getting into supply chain, mm -hmm. it's not that it's not innovative. It's that it's hard. It's yeah. so, and you're it's sitting heavy. there, you're going, yeah. why does this have to be like that? You know, and th there's so many factors for, for why that is, but it, it, it gives you a deep appreciation for all the people behind the scenes that work, as you said, to get something for that sure. you, you order off your phone, you know, from point A, um, to your doorstep, point B. It, it's a lot yeah. of work, and um, it really is the, the backbone that that fuels this space. But it's also one of the backbones that makes this space so hard to master. Mm -hmm.
It also, I think, is one of the one of the reasons why you can disrupt it to a certain extent. But it, there are, unless you are starting from scratch and building not only production from scratch, but distribution, <coughs> which is another yeah. massive piece of this, right? Are you going to build a new shipping company? Are you going to build a new, you know, iron forger? Yeah. You know, all of these things are, you know, they're, and that, and that's where, that's where, you know, there, that it goes back to sort of what we were saying at the beginning, the left brain, the right brain, the nature, the nurture, you know, the art, the science, it's all non-binary. It's all interconnected. Right. And you, I think what, what is really cool about your experience is that in your movement from bits to atoms, you're sort of respecting the atom, you know, and, and bringing all of everything that you've learned from the bits part. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we're, we're good at the bits part and I really wanted Mm -hmm. to get, I wanted to, I just wanted more tactile tactility like yeah my parents yeah. never knew what i did of what jen lane is my, right. you know they thought i fixed computers you know yeah. like or what i don't even know how to describe it if someone's <laughs> like you know i'm like oh well you know it's like a branding agent but it's kind of digital it's kind of you know it's like creative it's multi-pronged right. work you know it's like what Google <laughs> gobble i'm just like i don't yeah. know man we design websites and make logos <laughs> like you know but i equal parts when we first came out i was like damn we I made make stuff. this yeah i yep. can cook with this i can yep. For for Christmas last year, I can give this to my relatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, know. and spaces I can put, you know, socks in it. I can put it in my mm-hmm. bathroom. I can put my cool shoes on it. Like, yeah, and just having stuff that you make that you could touch. Like, man, oh man, it felt so good after so many years of making things that are like, yeah, ethereal or whatever that are just on floating around on the internet and little websites or apps like. You know, it, it is so innovative, but as humans, you, we still biologically, we love tactility. We love yep. touch. We love you, someone touching us. We love touching yeah. an object. It's I always say you, you can't sometimes yeah. when it's triangulated through a yeah. screen. I always, I was always like, you, you know, you're never going to be able to eat through the internet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like food, <laughs> food is atoms. And as long as food is atoms, um, food's you so know, intimate, you put it in your body it, yeah. and it, it could kill you if it goes wrong. You know, yeah. like it's really, there's a lot of trust that is in that mm-hmm. direct with, you know, consumer kind of yeah. that exchange, you know? So yeah. I think that's what I was really excited about was almost a back to the future. Another thing for pattern was like, I wanted to make physical items and I wanted to give, mm-hmm. I want, you know, it, Someone having seeing our website or seeing branding or advertising is cool, but seeing someone that has a product that we yeah, made or a stranger in better. their house, man, oh man, that's so special, you know. You know? And there's nothing better. That's really I think what it, I want my next yeah. ten years to be is making mm-hmm. really great products and great brands that pull from different cultures and inspirations and references and concepts from around the world that can introduce, you know, different ways of looking at something to put under your bed. Or a different way yeah. to think about, you know, cooking an egg. Just the simplest yeah. things, right? The morning – that's Pattern's whole thing is enjoy daily life. Is it, it, it happens in the small, minute moments on a daily basis. It's not yeah. the big concert, the big trip, the big wedding, the big anniversary. Those those are nice, but like mm-hmm. it's every day. Everyday yeah. stuff is what really gives us, you know, not just happiness but enjoyment. Yeah. No, I think that's – very true. A lot of what you just said, I think, applies exactly to the business that I'm building. So I'm like nodding my head and, and you know, shaking. Um, but um, I 
want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this was a hugely fun conversation. I knew it was going to be a fun conversation and you did not let me down. And I only heard the rooster a little bit. And uh, he was adorable. Sure. And I did have to like make my dog go out of the room because she decided that she wanted to have a conversation also. Yeah, we, so, we, loved, we love dogs. Yeah, we, we love, love you we guys. We love animals. We love pets. <laughs> Maybe not on the podcast. Um, so thank you so much, Emmett, for coming on. Um, and Jess, as he said at the beginning, thank you for being the best engineer. You did give me a little bit more time today, so... I took it. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> um, and listeners, I think I have three more episodes before winter break. Um, and uh, thank you again. I, I just, it's so funny. I love hearing people. It's kind of embarrassing because I started this two months after we actually started the sauces and I really had no clue what I was doing. But um, it is fun to hear people you know, respond to different episodes and, and ask questions and I welcome them. And that's part of why I've done this whole thing is just to help everyone slog through with me. So, um, I will be back next week. Emmett, thank you again. And yep. thanks everyone to, uh, for listening to in the sauce. Ch check out pattern open spaces, equal parts. Yeah. It's saying at the end versus anytime. I'm never before. good at that. I'm never good at that part. Yeah, like yeah. if you want more to whatever, go to pattern or equal parts or open spaces. Yeah. They're really great. I products. just hope people enjoy the conversation. <laughs> I mean, if you know, if that's all. Yes. Well, thank too. you, Allie. This, this was fun. And um, I think you asked great questions and these are fun concepts and I don't know. Everything is hard. You just got to try to support each other and support people that are trying. I think just if you, totally. if you come from a good place and you got earnest energy, like just try to support, man. It's hard to do anything, you know? Amen. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.